0: Well, I was given a compliment this morning by my daughter, and it's something I just had to share. We're standing up in the youth room, and she says, Dad, now, she hasn't seen me in a week. She'd been away in Branson. She says, Dad, you look like you've lost weight. (laughs) It makes a man feel good, but I told her, I said, the secret is you buy a bigger shirt. (laughs) if you're visiting with us, but if you've been with us, we've been in this sermon series called Surrender. And we've been walking through Scripture. We've been looking at different characters in the Bible in which we see these people that are surrendered to the Lord. And so today we're going to be in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is an interesting book. Unfortunately, though, we see it's the decline of Israel. They have just Uh, been uh, led out of Egypt, out of slavery through Moses. They've made their way into the promised land through Joshua. Somewhere along the way, they've lost their spiritual commitment to the Lord. And we see that the people of Israel, instead of enjoying freedom and prosperity in this promised land, they entered their dark ages of their history. And so we're going to look, very first part, we're going to look at his uh, Judges chapter 2. And Judges chapter 2 kind of lays the groundwork for what we'll be talking about. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bakum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. See, the people of Israel had lost their spiritual commitment to the Lord. Joshua passes away, and they end up in this cycle. They end up in this cycle that continues to repeat itself. And as it repeats itself, Israel drifts further and further away from God. Look at verse 10. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of those surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. You see, Israel got into this cycle. And it started with them. They first compromised. They compromised what God had told them and instructed them to do. As they drove out these inhabitants, they were to destroy the altars, but they did not obey him. Which then led to apostasy. In which they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then, as they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, Oppression. The Lord allowed the surrounding nations to oppress His people, which then ultimately led to repentance, in which they cry out to God, and then the Lord would bring salvation. He'd bring salvation through these twelve judges that are written about in this book. Now, the very last verse in Judges gives this theme for the entire book. It says, "In those days there was no king in Israel; everyone did what was right." In his own eyes. That sounds like a wonderful message for the world that we live in today. The other thing that I find fascinating about Judges is Judges is a book about heroes. It's about these men and women that God used to rescue and deliver his people. And when we hear the title Judges, we often think of a courtroom setting or a judgment over people. But a better name for these men and women that God used would be Deliverers. These heroes and judges were used by God to deliver and rescue His people. Now we as a people, we have a fascination, not everyone. We have a fascination with superheroes. Incredibles 2 just came out. Um, Kids. Like their superheroes. Some of us adults like their superheroes. Maybe it's because we want to fly, we want to climb the wall, we want to be able to see through the wall, we want to be able to run really fast, shoot webs out of our wrist, and swing from building to the building. Now, my favorite superhero is Batman. Now, I know some of you are like, Josh, he's not a superhero. He's just a rich guy with cool gadgets and a butler named Alfred. But there's something I like about Batman. He's just a normal guy. He doesn't have any special powers. But as with any of these superheroes, when you watch the movies or if you read their comics, you get to see that they're actually normal people with just special abilities. These normal people, they, they have their weaknesses. They have their fears. They have emotions. Sometimes you get to see them rest, wrestle with doubt. And today we're going to look at Gideon. Gideon's one of these 12 judges or heroes of Israel who had to deal with weaknesses, uncertainty, a lack of confidence. He doubted himself. But the Lord, despite all those things, still worked in him and through him to accomplish a great feat. Now he is uh, the fifth judge that we come across in the book of Judges. Even in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, his name is mentioned as one of the great men of faith. And so we're going to look at Judges chapter 6 through 8. But we're actually going to start at the very end of this this story. We're going to look at what takes place at the end of Gideon's life. And I want us to, to see who he became. And then we're going to hit rewind, go back to the beginning, and find out exactly who Gideon was and how did he arrive at this place. So if you could, turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 22. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So Gideon is standing before these men who are ready to make him king. But from these verses alone, we can see that Gideon is, in fact, a man who is surrendered to God. He knows that the Lord is king. The Lord is king in his life, and the Lord needs to be king in their lives. And they just need to understand it. So how did Gideon get here? Who was he before? What did he do to get to this place in which people were ready to exalt him to this place of authority over him? How did Gideon become a man who is surrendered to God? We're going to walk through these chapters. We're going to read some, some scripture and focus in on some scripture. And then I'm going to fill in the blanks between... So I just ask that you just try to follow along because it might be a little fast-paced. But I want us to get a grand scope of what took place in Gideon's life to get him to this place in which he understood that the Lord is the one that needed to rule over them. So go back to chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the teramith at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite. While his son Gideon was beating out the wheat and the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Were all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. So here we see that Gideon was just a normal guy. Going about his day's work, we see that he was a farmer. He was threshing the wheat, providing for his family, providing for his clan. The Lord met him in that place. Now he was down in a winepress. Rather than being up on a hill and allowing the wind to blow away the chaff, he's down, hidden in this winepress, so that the Midianites would not come and plunder their goods. The angel meets him in this place, and notice what he says to him. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I find this a little humorous. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But notice Gideon's first response. Says, well, sir, if the Lord is with us, where is he at? Why is he allowing all of these things to happen to us? Why are we being oppressed? You know, we hear about our fathers recounting the days when he delivered us from Egypt. Where is God? What Gideon fails to recognize is that maybe it was them. It was they who had fallen away. It was he, his family, his clan, the tribes, the people of Israel had fallen away from God. And they were no longer living for the Lord. So let's pick up back in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. In verse 14, the angel of the Lord speaks of Gideon's might once again. He says, based on your might, so you're going to go save Israel. But if you notice, though, Gideon immediately says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the least I'm the least in my family, I'm weak, I'm not capable. Here's what Gideon doesn't understand is God knows his potential far better than he does. God knows what Gideon is capable of doing, even when Gideon doesn't understand it, even when Gideon lacks the confidence. I believe that's same for, true for us. God knows your potential. God knows what He can do in you and through you better than you could ever understand. As we see that this begins the work of making Gideon a man who is surrendered, and oftentimes God will even use those who are the weakest, those who are the least, to bring and accomplish His will in the world. In verse 16, the angel of the Lord reminds him, he says, the Lord will be with you. And you will strike down the Midianites as one man. When God promises, when God calls you to do something, God promises to be by your side. Just as he promises Gideon. But then in verse 17, we see Gideon make a request. He asked for his first sign. He's wanting to double check. And just make sure that this was in fact the Lord who was speaking to him. Just in case. And so, Gideon goes and he offers this sacrifice per the angel of the Lord's instructions. And the angel of the Lord then consumes the sacrifice by fire. And then it's this point, turn with me to verse 22. It's at this point that Gideon notices. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon offers his sacrifice. The Lord consumes it. And Gideon, at this point, realizes it is, in fact, an angel of the Lord that he's standing before. Now, the people of Israel always thought that if... They stood before the face of God that they would die. And based on the angel's response, we see that Gideon is in fact fearful. So the first step in making Gideon this man who has surrendered unto God is that he fears the Lord. He perceives that he's standing before the angel of the Lord. He's fearful. He's fearful. I think that we all must come to a place in our life in which we have a fear of God. It's an understanding of who God is. And when we understand truly who God is, it gives us a better understanding of who we are to be. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be Lord and ruler over our own lives. And then we surrender to His Lordship. A willingness to live a life in obedience to God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning step in being a person who is surrendered to the Lord. Now in verse 25, the angel of the Lord gives Gideon his first task. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into your town. I want you to tear down this altar of the bell and cut down the ashra and destroy it. This is a risky request. But if you notice in verse 27... He goes and he fulfills the task. He says then, so Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day. He did it by night. So he goes and he fulfills this task. And one can say, well, he's just being stealthy. I think scripture tells us that he's afraid for a reason. That's in there for a reason, to help us understand that there was real fear, there's real emotion, even in this quest, this task that God has laid out before Gideon. He's afraid. But Gideon is no coward. A coward would hear this task, be so fearful that he would run. He would not go and fulfill it. Gideon, yes, he was afraid. But he went and did the task that the Lord had laid before him. So, in contrast to this man of valor, you see someone maybe just a little timid. But it could be a part of the process of growth. And when he did it, it's his first step, it's God's first step of ridding his people of these idols that they had begun to worship we see that the Lord was testing the commitment of Gideon. Gideon was a man who was committed to the Lord. Even if there was a little bit of fear involved, he was committed to the Lord. He was not allowing the fear of man to supersede the fear of God. He understood that he needed to fulfill this task before him. Now morning arrives and the men of the town, they go out, they realize what has happened. This altar, asher's been cut down, it's torn up. And they begin to wonder and seek out who it is, who was this that did this? And they discovered it was in fact Gideon. And so they go to Gideon's father, Joash. He says, bring your son out before the town because he has done an awful thing. We must take his life. And I believe that the Lord stepped in. Because if you remember Gideon was afraid of his own family. But the Lord steps in, and through Joash, Joash tells the men of the town, says, If Baal is God, let him contend for himself. And from that point on, Gideon was known as Jeroboam. Now jump down to verse 34. Because of his commitment to the Lord, because he was obedient and fulfilling the task that God had given him, It says in verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Because of his commitment, God came in and clothed Gideon in his spirit. And the result of that was this. The people in the town, the people in the area, they followed him. These people were just trying to kill him. The Lord changed their hearts and moved in such a way that they were willing to follow Gideon now. They saw that he was a man of God. And so they followed him. Now you would have thought up to this point that Gideon, he was called out by the angel of the Lord. He stands before the angel of the Lord. He's fearful. He gives him this task. It was risky. He went ahead and did it. But he came out on the other end fine. You thought that would enough to build up his confidence. But then we get into this part of the scripture that many of us are familiar with. Gideon goes before the Lord and says, I've got a request. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, I need a sign. I'm going to take this fleece of wool, and I'm going to lay it down on the ground. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to ask that the fleece of wool be covered in dew, but yet the ground around it be dry. So Gideon goes to sleep. He wakes up in the morning. He picks up this fleece of wool. He picks it up and he wrings it with his hand. It is covered in dew. But the ground around it is dry. But Then Gideon, whether doubt began to creep back in. Maybe a lack of confidence says, Lord, let your anger not burn against me. I have one more request. I'm going to take this fleece of wool. I'm going to lay it on the ground. This time, I ask that it would remain dry and the ground around it be covered in dew. The Lord, the Lord gave him the sign that he needed. And so Gideon arose the next morning and he's standing and he's camped out with his his men at the spring of Herod. He's got 32,000 men with him. Looking upon the camp of Midian down in the valley below. The Lord's got something else in mind. He comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, you've got too many men. And So the Lord tells him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell those who are fearful and trembling to go and pack up their things and head on home. So 22,000 of them pack up their belongings and they head out. Which is understandable. They were looking upon a camp of 135,000 men. So they leave. You think if Gideon had doubt... lack of confidence before. Now he's standing on this hillside with 10,000 men. But see, the Lord wasn't done. Well, Gideon, I'm sorry to tell you, still too many men. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these men down by the water and you're going to see that there's two groups. There are going to be those who kneel down by the water and they're going to cup the water with their hands and they're going to lap it like a dog. Then there are going to be those who are going to kneel down and they're going to drink directly from the water. And based off of those two groups, I'm going to tell you who you're going to take into battle. So Gideon does as the Lord has commanded him. He takes the men down by the water. And sure enough, just as the Lord had said, these men kneel down. They cup water with their hand. They lap it like dogs. And then there's another group that kneel down and drink directly from the stream. This is Gideon. You're going to take 300 men who knelt down, cupped it with their hands and laughed it like dogs. Those are the men that you're going into battle with. Place yourself in Gideon's shoes. I think I would begin to question. I would begin to doubt what in the world is he thinking? There's 135,000 down there. There's 300 of us. Lord, what are you thinking? Chapter 7, verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Puri your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. So the Lord, knowing who he's dealing with, understands that there's a good chance that Gideon might be afraid. He says, I've given them into your hands. But if you're afraid, I want you to take your servant. I want you to go down and you're going to hear something. You're going to hear something that is going to strengthen your hand. So Gideon takes his servant, they go down and they hear these armed guards talking. And they're talking about a dream that has been taking place. And then they get to the point in which one of the comrades turns to interpret the dream in verse 14, and his comrade answered him, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Gideon hears his name being talked about by these men. It's a little boost of confidence. It's exactly what he needed. But let me tell you, Gideon wasn't boasting about himself. He knew that the Lord had gone before him. The Lord was already at work. These men he was about to go against, they already knew what was happening. They had been handed over by God to Gideon. Notice in verse 15, he says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of this dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. This is the next step. Step for him becoming a man who has surrendered. He recognizes the Lord's work in his life. He recognizes what God is doing and he could do nothing but worship the Lord. We too Ought to be looking for how God's at work and just worship and praise Him and everything that He is doing. So, with this newfound confidence, Gideon goes back to the camp. He gathers the 300 men and he divides them into three companies. He says, Here's what we're going to do, guys. I'm going to give you a jar with a torch in it and a trumpet, and we're going to go defeat the Midianites. I want you to follow my lead. So they went and they surrounded the camp. And as they surrounded the camp, Gideon took the lead. He broke the jar and they blew the trumpet and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then the Lord turned the Midianites against themselves. Some did flee, but they killed themselves. God granted them the victory. This is the most bizarre. Victory in the world. Only God could do something like this. It's the God that we serve today. And it is through God that they were able to pull off this victory. Gideon had to trust in the Lord. Now it's not recorded, but at some point, the Lord had to reveal to Gideon his plan. And I would imagine getting and sitting there before the Lord, okay. We're gonna do what? You just got rid of all these men. Now you're telling me to take jars with torches and a trumpet? And we're gonna defeat this army. Okay, Lord. If that's what you tell me to do, then I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to go fulfill what you had told me to do. Now, as I mentioned, Some of the men did get away. They fled, but Gideon and his men, along with some other tribes, caught up to them eventually, and they ended up killing the last two kings. And now we come full circle. Back to chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. I'd say that these men of Israel were missing it, right? They were looking at Gideon and saying, You are the one that saved us. We want you and your son and your grandson to rule over us. But Gideon said, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So Gideon understood that it was the Lord who did this work. He understood that the Lord was the one that needed to be the ruler in their life. And he wanted to give glory to God. So as a follower of Christ, as someone who is living for Christ, someone who has surrendered, you ought to always be looking to give glory to God. Which is exactly what we see Gideon do. Now, I wish I could say that this was kind of a happily ever after type of ending. As I mentioned before, The people of Israel entered into this cycle that continued. Unfortunately, Gideon contributed to that cycle. So whether it was pride or maybe he was caught up in the celebrations, he says, well, I'm not going to rule over you, but let me make a request. Bring me your earrings and the gold and everything that we've gathered. And So they brought it to Gideon and Gideon made an ephod and he placed it in the city. And it says that the people of Israel hoard after it, and it became a snare in Gideon's life and his family. I share that with you to say, you know, Gideon was a real person. He had real emotions, fear. Maybe he got caught up in it. maybe he let pride get the better part of him. We've got to make sure that we're cautious. But despite Gideon's flaws, despite his doubt, his insecurities, his lack of confidence, God still used Gideon. And it says that the Lord gave his people 40 years of rest under Gideon's authority, under Gideon's lifetime. But then after, they forgot him. But to live a life surrendered... We can come in with the same type of, of characteristics that we see. And we can be fearful. We can be afraid. Maybe we're a little doubtful. Maybe we question our confidence in ourself. But God wants us to all come to a place where we're surrendered to Him. And When we come to that place of being surrendered, it means that we fear the Lord first and foremost. We're willing to commit ourselves to him. We're willing to live our lives in obedience. And in our everyday lives, we worship him with everything that we are. We learn over time to trust in God. God might call and ask you to go and do something that doesn't make an ounce of sense. That might be a little scary, but we've got to get to that place where we trust him. Whether as an individual or whether we as a church body, sometimes God might call us to do something that is, that is hard. But we've got to be willing to trust Him. And as with all of this, we ought to make sure that we're giving glory to God and God alone. It's never about seeking out the praises of man. But make sure that everything that, we, that God does in our life and that, that God does through us, that we make sure that God is the one that gets the glory. It's not for me. It's for Him because you and I were designed to live a life in obedience to God, to always point up to God so that others will know who He is. It's all about the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank You. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for these characters that we get to read about that you have preserved for us to study. I pray, Lord, that just as we looked at this morning with Gideon, I asked, Father, that you would help us to maybe see a little bit of ourselves in him, that maybe we're fearful, maybe we lack the confidence, maybe we doubt a little. I pray, Lord, that you would break down the walls of whatever it is in each of our hearts. And just as you did in Gideon's life, I pray, Father, that you'd work that same way in each and every one of our lives, Father. So whether we're a new believer or maybe we are a seasoned believer, I ask God that you would just meet us where we're at and pull us along beside you. Continue to work in our hearts. Help us to rid ourselves of anything that might prevent us from surrendering ourselves to you. We know, Lord God, that there's no better place to be than to be by your side, living for you, glorifying your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.